the room of pitchers that the Yankees have all love their craft, love talking pitching. Um, so I'm really excited to jump in there. I'm a pitching nerd. Flip that's newest Yankees pitcher, Jamison Tyone, talking to the media following his trade to New York. Listening to him talk, you could tell he's clearly excited to be in pinstripes. He calls himself a self-proclaimed pitching nerd, which I love. We'll take a deep dive into Tyone in this episode, but first, just overall, tell me, were you surprised by this deal? I wasn't surprised by it. I, I mean, I wasn't shocked by it. I wasn't surprised by it. I, I quite candidly hadn't given it a lot of thought until the Yankees made the deal. But once they made the deal, once Cashman made the deal, I, uh, it started to make sense to me because, you know, uh, first of all, the, the, uh, the influence uh, that Garrett Cole obviously has on uh, uh, and the respect that he has uh, from Brian Cashman, I'm sure that, that that was a recommendation that must have come from him. I mean, they were roommates in Pittsburgh uh, and friends and roommates. And, uh, and you know, and, and Garrett knows a lot about, about him and also the fact that, you know, that he's such a, you know, he is such a, a tough competitor. I mean, you, you can't go through two Tommy John surgeries, battle testicular cancer and not be someone who's a, a real battler and, a, you know, and a warrior and somebody who's, uh, you know, is going to be in it for the long haul. So you've got to admire anybody who's been through those ordeals and has come out the other side of it, which he has so, so good for him. And when he has pitched, he's been very effective. He just hasn't pitched a lot because of these, these various setbacks. But if he is on the mound and he's healthy, he, he could be a fine for the Yankees. He could, he could really help them a lot because, you know, again, it's, it's, you win championships with, with, with strong, deep starting pitching. It's really what you need to win. And, and uh, the Yankees are starting to accumulate pitching, which is what they really need uh, because they're going to need the arms because last year you didn't get a lot of innings from uh, from their starters because uh, they were only they were only played uh, you know, they only played 60 games last year so there weren't many uh, there wasn't an opportunity to really stretch out the pitchers for them to stretch out their arms so that will be a factor in the season coming up so the they obviously need need to be able to be in a position where uh, they need they need depth and uh, starting pitching because again you're not going to get the, the volume of innings that you would get in normal years from your starters good point yeah they do have depth in my opinion so I'm looking at probably 10 legitimate major league baseball starting pitchers so the depth is there but the innings they aren't there if that makes any sense at all the the depth is there if everyone comes back and pitches to form the depth is there but I mean there's there are uh, there as and if they come back and they pitch to form then you have exclamation points exclamation an exclamation point right now you have question marks because right. you don't really know. I mean, you, you, you believe Severino will come back. He's on schedule to come back. When he comes back, he's, always, he's, you know, he's one of the best pitchers in the game when he's healthy. And he's, uh, but you have to see how that unfolds. You know, you're optimistic, but you, you really don't know until somebody gets on the mound. So you've got that. You've got the Herman situation, right? You've got the Kluber situation. You know, so I mean, those, are, those, are, those are, could possibly be massive exclamation points for the Yankees. They can also, but right now, in some respects, there, there's, there's some question marks attached to them. So using those names you just mentioned, I'm glad you brought them up. Luis Severino, Corey Kluber, who we'll get into in a little bit, Domingo Herman, Jamison Tyone. These are all great pitchers, also pitchers who haven't pitched in a while. So let me ask you this, and I have to at the top credit senior coordinating producer Jared Boschnack for helping me get to this thought. But in talking with him, he's like, Kev, they're going to redefine what a pitching rotation looks like, meaning – you know Kluber 
might not be, might not go seven innings. So maybe he goes four innings, followed by Severino doing another four innings, followed by Chapman. Don't think of it as starter. Just think of it as pitcher. Does that make any sense? I mean, it could. I mean, listen, the way and look, the way you deploy your pitching depends on you know the 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 manager and the pitching coach and and how they see your team, how they see the Yankees matching up against obviously the opposing lineup, and the opposing team, and they'll play strengths. They'll play our strengths against their weaknesses, and what they'll try and do is obviously get the best possible matchups that they can. So using that as a sort of a, a ground formula, if you will. Um, I, I could see, I could absolutely see that as a possibility. Um, you know, again, with the, especially with the, the, I, the innings being limited for the most part, uh, this not being a normal year because of what happened last year in terms of so few games being actually played. Um, I, I could see them doing something like that. So, listen, sometimes, uh, you know, r- you know r- radical times call for radical measures. Is that a radical measure? Well, it could be, but it also could be looked at as a, uh, as a, you know, uh, as a move that is uh, redefining, as, uh, as uh, you mentioned uh, from your conversation with Jared. It could be redefining. It could absolutely be that. I mean, again, you'll have to it's, – it's a lot of things, but right now it's a lot of things on paper. Until you, go to, until you go to some kind of spring training, until you actually see what you have and see, you know, how guys are throwing – and see, you know, the movement on the pitches and see how they feel, you know, the day after a start and, you know, and, and they get a chance to stretch them, their arms out and all the things that are endemic to, you know, what, what starting pitching has to do in order to succeed. So, you know, they'll get a chance to do that. But, but again, I think right now the whole point of it is just to stockpile as many arms as you can. So you, it gives you as many possibilities. Uh, it gives you a lot of depth. It gives you possibilities. It gives you options. That's why you, that's why you go out and you get as many strong pitches as you possibly can. And the hope that those guys can hold up and then take you where you need to get. Well, Jameson Tyone feels like, and he mentioned this to the media, he can hold up. You mentioned hold up. He said he's never felt better. In fact, he's changed his mechanics a little bit. He's using the bottom half of his body more. Um, something that, you know, you really teach from a young age. And for whatever reason, he just wasn't taught that or he wasn't doing it or his natural ability just took him over. Uh, but now he's going to pitch using uh, his legs a little bit more. He's short-arming the ball a little bit, meaning that hand, that throwing hand, is closer to his ear, closer to his head, instead of a big whipping motion, which he was doing. And he said he's never felt better. He, uh, he's got – when he's pitched, when he's been on the mound and he's been healthy, he's been effective. Now, the problem has been between the two Tommy John surgeries and his battle with testicular cancer – it has really limited how much he could actually pitch. So, but when he has been on the mound, he has been effective. So let's hope that his health problems are behind him. Let's hope that, uh, you know, when, uh, that he can, he can use the pitches that he throws effectively and this, his, his redefined mechanics will put him in a place where, you know, he could be a major contributor to the Yankees. But again, this is going to take, I think they will rush it because to rush it, you risk, you know, you risk the, the, the obviously an injury. So they're going to have to be very, very cautious and very circumspect. But I'm sure they will be. But uh, they could find themselves because the Yankees didn't give up very much to get him. And I know that Garrett Cole, I know they were roommates in Pittsburgh. And I'm, but Garrett would not have recommended him, I'm sure, to Brian Cashman unless he felt, that obviously, that he could be a big help to the Yankees if everything broke right. And another reason why you don't rush him, here's a kid who you have under control till 2023. Right. It's not all about right now. It's about the future, too. And like you said, you gave up almost you gave up a little. So 
Give him a fair uh, little bit. Yeah. Moving on, we mentioned Kluber a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, two-time Cy Young, three-time mm-hmm. All-Star, 10 mm-hmm. seasons. Um, I, I don't think you can expect to get that Cy Young caliber Corey Kluber, but which Corey Kluber are we getting? Hard to say. But, I mean, listen, Corey Kluber could still pitch. Corey Kluber still has has has, uh, has uh, something in the tank, and I would say, uh, I would right now, I'd, I'd say he's a three in terms of a starter. Uh, he's not a one anymore. He's not an ace anymore. But listen, the, you know, over, over time, it's a long time now. He's pitching many, many years. Um, so th- that happens over time. But he's still very effective. I still think he could be a big help to the Yankees. And he is one of those things that if it, everything breaks, if things break right, he's a real exclamation point for the Yankees. But right now, the, the, it's not that he's a question mark. It's just that you just don't know where he's going to slot. Right now, I'm looking at him as the three. But, but you know, we'll see what kind of camp he has. We'll see, you know, we'll see what, uh, you know, um, what uh, the, uh, the the, the uh, Yankee influence is on him. We'll see how he, how he takes to the camp. We'll see how he, how he you know, makes his, the adjustments he's going to have to make. As, you know, as you get older, you start to make adjustments in how you, in how you pitch and, and what your routines are. So we'll see how he adjusts to those things. But I, I think the Yankees made a good deal because, again, you win championships with starting pitching. It's really with pitching you win championships, but with starting pitching in particular. So the Yankees need to stockpile these starters, and, and Kluber is not a stockpile starter. He's, he's a, he's a front-end starter. He may not be a one right now anymore but but he could still get people out and uh, uh if i'm the yankees i'm very excited to have him on my staff he'll teach you a lot the kids a lot i'd half agree with him being a question mark um he's a little bit of a question mark a little bit yeah so yeah. i don't know what a half a question mark is but i think he's a half a question mark and i'll tell you why and, and i might just be doing glass half full yankees fan thing here but eric cressy is kluber's strength coach so Eric Cressy knows the deal with Kluber. He knows whether or not he is healthy. Eric Cressy works for the Yankees. You put those two together. He's not going to go to his boss and say, eh, I'm not sure if he's healthy. Make sure you sign him. It's just not going to happen. What do you think of the dollars, Flip? $11 million one year. I mean, I, I think the Yankees made a good deal. I, I, I think $11 million is, I think that's what it was. It was $11 million. And, uh, you know, I think to get, to get a quality starting pitcher, he, he's, a, he's a quality starter. He really, he could still, still get people out. And, uh, you know, and I still believe he can, you know, he can give the Yankees some innings, which is what they're going to need. You know, again, to, to, to the point that we had made earlier, uh, we are trying to cobble like innings together. Right, because of what happened last year, there was only 60 games. The pitchers did not get a chance to stretch themselves out, stretch their arms out as much as they would have liked, and there's a residual effect to that. So this year, you know, they've got to kind of come off of the fact that there was only 60 games played last year. So they're going to have to, um, you know, stretch those arms out, and and in order to do that, uh, it's going to take them some time. So the more the you know the deeper your starting staff is, the deeper your bullpen is, the better off you're going to be right now. You know what I think the $11 million is, Flip? I think Corey Kluber went to his workout. I think he hit 92 on the gun. I think he impressed more than a handful of teams. So then the bidding started to climb. It was probably $9 million, then $10 million, then $11 million. And it, that, all of those things are a good sign for the Yankees, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, they, they saw, listen, they went to his workout, they, they saw him throw, and obviously if they didn't think that, uh, you know, he had movement on his pitch, he had some velocity, he had movement on his pitches, you know, that he had, he had command and, 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 and location. I, I, if they didn't see those things, uh, I don't think the Yankees would have, would have went to Wallace and pulled out $11 million and said, here, let's give it to Corey Kluber because he's won two Cy Youngs, um, you know, and, and, which is nice. He's got a great pedigree. Uh, but uh, obviously, the, the the starting pitching is in short supply. I mean, you would not have seen the the, the Yankees pull the trigger, uh, or you know, earlier in the uh, in the week to to make the, the deal with the Pirates. You would not have seen that happen. You would not have seen the Kluber deal. If 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 pitching was in abundance, it's not. It's in short supply, and especially you know, veteran guys who've been able to have success uh, and good success at a, at the major league level. Um, you know, they're they're going to command a premium. And, and that's kind of that's kind of what happened here. Um, I, I think that's a fair. I think eleven million is a fair is a fair price for for Kluber. I do. Your phone is blowing up. You're pretty important. So for first time listeners, Flip, how about we introduce ourselves? I am Kevin Sullivan from the digital media department here at the Yes Network, and I am alongside, as always, sports broadcasting Hall of Famer, Mr. John J. Filippelli. Flip, how are you today? I'm good, Kev. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, you know, I'm excited. People are rating, they're reviewing, they're subscribing. That's exciting. Please, that really is the best way you could help us. People are reviewing us internally, I should mention. Is that good or bad? Well, it's good for you. You got rave reviews. You were on the same meeting, the 11 o'clock meeting. Uh, you got rave reviews. I was told I need to take you to task more. You know, you should. You should. Well, I have a perfect opportunity right now. I th- on I this I very podcast... I think I know what it is. Good. You know exactly where I'm going. I do. It is, does it start with like with two initials? Yes. And it's one of multiple like, occasions. You told me that. The, sorry, go ahead. I'll let you. One, I was going to say one of the initials is one that comes after C. Yes. Yes. And then it I'm would, just going to. I'm just going to say it. Okay. You on multiple occasions told me yes. on this yes. very podcast. Yes. That DJ LeMay, whose time in pinstripes. Yes. We're done. Yes. Finite. Jason. Well, that's not the case. The Yankees literally just announced, made it mm-hmm. official, that mm-hmm. they signed DJ LeMayhew. Six years, $90 million. You're obviously surprised, so I can't ask you that. Uh, I, I'm only, I, I, was, I was surprised. I was surprised. Uh, but I, I'm grateful to the Steinbrenners. <laughs> I'm very grateful to the Steinbrenners because, you know, listen, he's, he, was in the, he finished in the top four MVP, you know, his two years with the Yankees voting and uh he probably was that probably was he was the team mvp both years as far as i was concerned so he gave the yankees two terrific seasons and the whole idea that they could keep him uh and the, and the depth that he gives you i mean he's a swiss army knife he plays every place you put him he's effective every place you put him he hits the ball he doesn't just hit the ball he hits the ball anywhere he wants to you know, he goes the other way. He goes up the middle. He pulls the ball. I mean, there's nothing he can't do. He's a magician with the bat. He's a terrific defensive player. He doesn't have a lot of speed yet. He's a very good base runner. He runs the base as well. I mean, he's, he's just a very good baseball player. And uh, the Yankees needed him and what uh, and his talents. So I'm very happy that they were able to uh, to figure it out. I just thought that the I, I didn't know that they would be able to, but I'm really glad that they did because the Yankees are a much better team with him than they would be without him. Same question I asked you yep. about Kluber. Yes. What do you think about the money? Because the money 
was a little surprising to me, 90 million over six years, that works out to $15 million a year. When you think that he made $12 million a year last year. Listen, that's, that's up to, that's up to the agents to, and, and the team to figure out, you know, I, I try not to sit there and, and ruminate too much about what the, what the salaries are, but at the end of the day, that AAV of, of, uh, of 15 million, I mean, that's, that's a nice AAV. It's up from 12 million. Um, but, you know, listen, this is a strange market, you know, and uh, there's a lot a lot of crazy things went on last year and they're still going on, you know, this year in terms of, you know, the situation with, with COVID and no attendance in the stands and, you know, um, you know, the revenue streams being, you know, you know, cut for the teams. So teams have got to be circumspect about what they can pay and also about making team long-term deals for, for big money. So in any time a team is going to do that, they've got to feel really, really certain about about who they're signing. I mean, there can be no guesswork here. So the Yankees felt certain about him. He wanted to come back, I know. It meant a lot to him. He really liked the Yankees and he wanted to come back. I mean, that's obviously part of this too. He might have been able to pick up a, a few more bucks, I think, playing for maybe going someplace else. But he, this was a, a deal that he was very happy with and a team that he wanted to stay with. And that's, that's what it takes. It's a marriage. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I do think it's a win-win. I do think it's a good yeah. deal for both parties here. I meaning, um, you know, DJ LeMay, he was going to make $15 million six yeah. years from now. He's not going to be a $15 million player. Probably projections will tell you six years from now. So you, you have to look over the course of the entire six years. So DJ got his money. He got his guaranteed money. Right. He got a bunch of it. And Yankees right. got their man. So it really is a win-win in my opinion. Well, he could settle. He had two nice years here, and now he could do his last five in his career. He could play here, and seven years in a place that he really enjoys, and uh, and uh, and a team that really uh, you know welcomes his his talent. As I mentioned, he's a he's, he's a Swiss Army knife. He can just do it all, and that's just you know you don't get players like that. It's people that that diverse who could play just about any position you put him at, and he'll excel at, and he can hit any you know any, pretty much any place in the lineup, and he's clutch. I mean, you, I can't think clutch. of a player the last two years who's been more clutch than DJ LeMay. Clutch. Well, one thing we know, um, he's not going anywhere, obviously. We've got him locked in six years. Somebody who is going somewhere is Adam Adovino. Uh, kind of, you know, his name was bounced around quite a bit over the last yeah, few weeks, yeah. so moving him isn't necessarily a surprise. Oh, no, not a surprise. Boston. Yeah. That surprised me. You know, you could say that, but it, 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 it's a fit. You know, look, they're, they're in a rebuild. Uh, they're trying to add pieces. You know, uh, Adovino had some very nice years with the Rockies. And um, he struggled his two years in New York with the Yankees. He did. Uh, but, you know, listen, sometimes a change of scenery does uh, could do a player wonders. Uh, there's only one year left on the contract. It was $9 million. And I don't know that the Yankees, I think the Yankee, Boston picked up almost all of it, not quite all of it, but most of it. And that gave the Yankees room to make, a, to do some maneuvering, which they really wanted to do to add some other pieces. So it's a, it's a move that very much worked, worked out for the Yankees. And if you're the Red Sox and you're short up on a bullpen, you're taking a chance on somebody, but it's one year and it's less than 9 million if you look at it like that. So, you know, it's, it's not like it was a long-term deal for, for, for massive money. So, uh, you know, so you, you take the chance. And again, pitching is so important, obviously. And if, if Adovino could come back and that, and that slider could be what it was, you know, when he was with the Rockies, I mean, the, the Red Sox would get a very important bullpen piece. So looking ahead, what do you do now with that money that you saved? 
Well, we should... they, you had Darren O'Day, you know. There we came. go. I should note that. Yeah, so that happened. That's but that just happened today as we record this. That was just a little while ago, and and uh, so the Yankees uh, about two. I think it's about two and a half million dollars for him. So you, you take the money that they got principally from the Red Sox, a little less than nine, which was what uh, was the last year of Adovino's contract. So you take two and a half or thereabouts, and you uh, subtract that from that. I went to do the math, carry the one. Let's see, that comes to like what six and a half. Is that right? Six and a half. Seven. That's right. Six and a half. So that, so that leaves them about six and a half million, which means that possibly, you know, you've got to find yourself a maybe a left hand hitting outfielder uh, who might be sort of sitting around and you might want to add. It's possible. I mean, again, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball, but maybe maybe someone like a Brett Gardner. Number maybe, 11. Yeah. Maybe comes back for a swan song or a season. And if you look at the Yankee outfield situation, you know you got a lot of righties in the right-hand hitters, and you get the guys who've uh, had to struggle to stay on the field the last couple of years. With Stanton and Hicks and and Judge have all had their share of injuries, although when healthy they're great outfield, but but they've you know struggled. There's been injuries there, so you know you need depth and you need someone who can you know, play some really good defense, and that would be the rest and a lefty bat. That would be Brett Gardner. Look at this. I'm sorry. As you're talking, I'm looking up Darren O'Day on Baseball Reference. Yeah. Last season, 19 games, yeah. 16 and a third innings pitched, a 1.10 ERA, which is amazing to me. 0.79 whip. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say he said some big years. I mean, he was uh, he was one of the, the you know the best relievers in the game in his days with the Orioles. You know, and he's and he's alternated with some different teams and, and had some had some, you know, some big years and some years that were a little less than that. But he certainly can pitch and he's a very important bullpen piece. I mean, I really like the fact that the, that the Brian, the Yankees have liked him for a long time. And I know Buck Showalter who works for us now at Yes said uh, and, uh, you know, obviously one of the more astute people in the game of baseball uh, has been high on him for a lot of years. And I saw him in his uh, in his best years, and there's no reason to think that he's uh, he still was uh, not going to be hugely effective. I mean, that's a nice deal for the Yankees. I really, I really that that excited me when I saw that. And of course, you get you know you get the submariner, right? That, that unorthodox you know delivery where his knuckles just about scraped the ground. That's that's quite a delivery. Seven yeah. years in Baltimore, two point four ERA. Yeah, this guy's a lot better than I thought he was. Oh no, he was he was he's a no, he's a good player. He's a good player. I don't know what you thought he was, but I will tell you he's he's can pitch. And uh, we were at a, had a nice discussion today with someone. I can't really tell you their name. I'm gonna have to like make up a name, like a stage name, like a kind of like a bogus name. Uh, I'm gonna call this person. Uh, uh, don't don't tell anybody this. Okay, it's just between you and me. I call this person John Littner. Okay, we were talking today about pitchers who went to who threw, gave that submarine style. You know. And it's, they've been some of the more interesting pitchers in the game. It's an interesting, unorthodox style. And we were talking about why there's never been a lefty submariner. Why is that? I don't know. Hmm. How's that for an answer? Compelling. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't know. Oh, <laughs> but, you know what else is compelling? No, let's do this for a second. No, no, don't go. Don't go anywhere. Don't, don't, don't jump off this. I'm trying second. my hardest. No, no, no. We got to go back just for a second. So I would try to figure this out. There is a reason why, why lefty, like you've never seen a lefty like Submariner. I, I don't really know. But if anybody knows who uh, uh, among our, our loyal listeners, could you please let us know? We'd appreciate it. I know we could do research and probably figure it out, but it's more fun if we ask our audience. We've been so loyal and good to us. So if you guys know why there's never been a lefty 
Submarina, we would love to know this. Submarine style picture. So I'm going to take a sharp left turn to something yeah. that just popped in my brain. Because I also, in the background here, I have MLB Network on. Yeah. Um, and I want to get your take on two things. One, the Hall of Fame voting yes, that happened okay. this past week, or was revealed this past week, I should say. Right, right. More importantly, and more interesting to me, is Kurt Schilling and his comments. After not making the Hall of Fame this year, he said, pull me off the ballot next year. I don't want to be any part of it. I want to get your take on it. I'm going to lead the witness. I think it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's akin to if you get fired by your boss and you say, you can't fire me, I quit. Or you learn your girlfriend's going to break up with you and you break up with her first. It's just immature. All right. So, all right, let's, let's take this one, 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 one uh, item at a time here. Uh, Schilling. I'm sorry. Uh, and I know his boorish behavior and has really, really cost him. There's no doubt that his behavior has just slaughtered him. Um, but in terms of his deserving the Hall of Fame on ability, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think if you look at, uh, you know, his win total was 215, 216, you know, that's fine. But that's not it. I mean, his postseason record was phenomenal. Like 11 and 2 in the postseason and like 4 and 1 in the World Series and a big game pitcher. Was a big game pitcher. Um, you know, you know, the, uh, over 3,000 3, career strikeouts. Um, uh, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people say borderline. I, I'm not, I wouldn't even say borderline. To me, he's a, harder, a Hall of Famer. I'm not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's, he's, he's on, he's on, was on his ninth ballot here, so he wasn't going to be that. But to me, uh, he, he, he is – look, sometimes you have to separate the, the, you know, the artist from the art, okay? His, his art, his ability to pitch was – I mean, I, I thought he complimented every rotation he was in and was, was a strength uh, on, on every team that he played for. Now, in terms of his behavior and his comments and the things that he said, and, the, and, and um, uh, I mean, it's like um, – it's a legend – it's like a – it's a it's a legendary um, a string of of uh, mistakes that have really really haunted him in terms of public perception and just saying the wrong thing and the and and, and sort of the, the most offensive thing that you could say to some people he said so he didn't win himself enough enough friends and there were a lot of people I think a number of people who might have voted for him that because of his behavior just felt that they couldn't so I mean Schilling really hurt himself he did uh, but in terms of his ability to play and pitch he's a Hall of Famer in terms of his uh, uh, his uh, the, the, his conduct and the way he could the things that he said and uh, the some of the offensive nature of the things that he said he's not so that that caught that caught him. But when you get 70%, you got 70% last year, Kev, and this was his ninth year on the ballot, and there was nobody, there really was nobody, uh, you, you could say Bonds and Clemens and, you know, whatever, but there was no, no, no active, no active, no player eligible, uh, current player or, or recent uh, player eligible who could have challenged him. And that to me was, that was the telling sign that there really wasn't enough opposition out there for him, and he still couldn't, he couldn't pull 5% more. That says to me how how uh, vehement the, and, and negative the reaction is to Kurt Schilling by the by the baseball writers. Yeah, it's almost the the Jim Rice effect, if you will. Yes, um, they just make him wait and wait and wait, and now he's asked to get pulled off altogether. Uh, you're absolutely right when it comes to post 
postseason numbers. 11 and 2. Yeah. The 2.23. 11 and 2. Listen to this World Series. 4 and 1 in the World Series mm-hmm. with a 2.06. He was amazing. Great. He, he was, he, he was uh, in terms of the postseason, he was one of the best big game pitchers, uh, you know, that, uh, that I saw in my, in my lifetime. So uh, before we go, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the uh, passing of Hank Aaron, who passed away last week at the age of 86. I know in talking to you on Friday, Flip, when, when the news broke, uh, you thought the world of Hank Aaron. Um, in fact, you said a number of times while we were talking the words class, dignity, gentleman. Yeah. Like, these yeah. were all the words that you were saying right when you heard of his passing. Right. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I knew him well. I mean, I met him a handful of times, uh, but he was always, and but he was friends with Tom Seaver and I was good friends with Tom Seaver. So, um, you know, Tom always spoke just in, in the highest tones uh, about, about Hank Aaron and everyone around the game, you know, appreciated and respected him for, you know, for how hard he played. And uh, listen, I, I will tell you, he's one of the top five baseball, five or six baseball players that I saw that I've seen in my lifetime. Aaron is in that, is in the top five or six. That's how good an all around player he really was. And uh, I don't think he gets enough credit because he, he I'm going to say he did it under the radar. He just did it quietly. He did everything he did. We did with, with quiet grace and, and with dignity. And it's kind of who he was. And uh, you know, that, that whole scene sort of when, when, when Barry Bonds was breaking uh, the record with, uh, and, and, you know, and, and Hank was there for, you know, the, the, the home run that was going to put him, put him past, uh, put Bonds past Aaron. I mean, he handled that so seamlessly and without, you know, there were other players who may not have dealt with that situation uh, even remotely well, but I thought that, you know, given how tough that must've been for a player like Aaron, uh, I think that he uh, really handled that as well as you possibly could. And that took the respect factor, which I had for him, which was enormous. And it went up, you know, like the two or three more bars because of how he handled that particular situation, which, you know, had to be awkward. Bonds finished with 762. Of course, Hank Aaron famously 755. Uh, if you add in, which I believe we are doing now, the Negro Leagues numbers. Yeah. I believe Hank Aaron is up to 760. I'd have to double check that. So he just a, a, a yeah. difference of two home runs right there. Yeah, uh, but it's you know that look. It's hard to it's hard to compare errors. It's hard to compare the leagues. It's hard to compare um, also the accuracy of some of the the like the Negro League records because they were not. Uh, you know, I don't know how accurate those records were. You know, I don't know who kept them. It's not like they had the Elias Sports Bureau or Stats Inc. You know, back then, it was sort of a lot of things were just done by hand, and sometimes they were done haphazardly. That's just not the Negro League records. It's all the records. If you go back to, you know, you go back to the beginning of, you know, the, when they started keeping records in baseball, you got to some of those things have to be skewed or somewhat. But but the important thing is this: it, it isn't really it's so much the record. It's just the way that he played the game and his accomplishments in the game. I mean, again. There isn't anything he couldn't do with the bat or the glove or with his arm. I mean, and, or actually on the bases. I mean, he was a complete and total great baseball player. And again, he conducted himself with nothing but dignity and class. So, you know, when you, when you, that's as, as good a total package as you're going to find. Let me give you a quote. You tell me who it's from. I'm willing to bet you're going to know who it's from because it's a fairly well-known quote. 
Okay. As far as I'm concerned, Hank Aaron is the best ball player of my era. He is to baseball of the last 15 years what Joe DiMaggio was before him. He's never received the credit he's due. I would only have to guess. I have no idea. I go Willie Mays. Close. Mickey Mantle. Okay. Mickey Mantle told that to Baseball Digest in 1970, June 1970. For Mickey Mantle to say he's the best ball player of my era. Wow. You know what's even more interesting about that? I thought it would be a National Leaguer because, again, in those days, the, the leagues didn't see each other very much, except maybe in All-Star games and stuff and, and obviously World Series. But outside of that, they didn't see each other very much. So you got to figure a player like like Mays would have played you know, against the, the Giants, would have played against the Braves, so National League would have seen him a lot more. So that's, that would, that's why I took that guess. But mental makes sense, too. Mental makes sense, too, for sure. So, Flip, what did, what did we miss? Did we uh, touch everything on your list? Uh, what else? Well, you know, listen, there's the collective bargaining agreement. Oh, you know, yeah. You know, there's uh, that to talk about a little bit, I would think. That's uh, you. Get there. Get after it. Well, you know, listen, all, all I would say is, uh, you know, uh, I would say this. I, I think that the, the owners and the players, there's a lot obviously at stake. There always is every time there's a, there's a collective bargaining agreement because, you know, they, they, they're not always going to see eye to eye. And, and the owners and players traditionally have not seen eye to eye. They come from two different viewpoints. And uh, but right now the game is at, is at a place where, you know, it was um, – it's been last year was very, very challenging for baseball. It just was. And, you know, there was a lot of rancor between the, between the players and the owners. And that's a, that's a difficult thing. And again, it's labor, it's the game, it's, it's going to happen. It's business, but, but to you, to our fans, you know, it's, it's the game that they love and they don't really want to hear about the business. They just want to see the game. So I'm hopeful that, uh, we have some really, really great and creative people and bright people in the game of baseball on both sides, whether they be management or they be the players. And I'm hopeful that everybody will put their heads together and figure out what's right and what's good for the game. And uh, what's good for the game will be good for everybody involved. So that is my hope that as we go forward, we have one more year, and then that the agreement will be up. But there's been you know, a lot of saber rattling and, and, and things going on. And that's just posturing that happens in these negotiations. Let's just hope, though, that, uh, uh, like I said, there's a lot of bright people in the game that they're able to figure this out and, and move the game forward because it's a great game. And you just don't want to see anything that would give you to give it a setback because, uh, you know, we've been through a lot in this country. We've been through a lot in the game uh, because of what happened with COVID and what's, uh, what's you know, happened to everybody around the world, for that matter, such as baseball. It's everywhere. And, uh, but we need to sort of, uh, uh, you know, bounce back. And uh, I, I know we will because we have, uh, we just have, the, as far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest game in the world. So, and you have some really terrific people running it and involved in it. So let's hope that uh, everybody puts their collective good hats on and we're able to uh, come to an understanding and the game could just, you know, go on and be played the way it's supposed to be. Well, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Your lips to God's ears. I have my fingers crossed that everything you just said uh, does come true. I, I did. I'm looking over my list here. We did forget to talk about one thing. Um, I mean, a flurry of moves yesterday as we record this on Wednesday. One move I don't get is Marcus Simeon to the Blue Jays. Well, first of all, the Blue Jays are going to be great. They're going to be really good. I'll go with really good because it's the further maturation. 
you know, of the of their young talent, uh, you know, of, of you know, of Ladgarau Jr. and it's uh, you know Biggio and Bagwell, and and as that young talent continues to mature, they're only going to get better and better, and they're already really very good. So their positional players have come along really nicely, and their pitching is starting is starting to develop. Pearson is really good, uh, and and could be uh, you know is it could be a real real force. He's getting there. He's he's terrific talent. He's got. You know, he throws everything for strikes, and he's got great movement on his pitches, and and uh, he's got a real live, terrific arm. So he's really good at us. The head of a rotation, Rayu, they've gotten, and you know, so they've they've done some good pickups, and they've got some they've got some decent pitching. They just don't have the depth that the Yankees have in terms of potential depth in terms of starting pitching. So that's all important to to see. But uh, as it unfolds, I mean, yeah, I think the Blue Jays could be. But remember something: they're, they're probably not going to play in, in Toronto because of the COVID situation until that gets it, that thing gets straightened out, um, which may take a couple of months. Uh, I don't know whether, I mean, they probably will play where in Buffalo or Dunedin or someplace, but they're not going to play in, not going to play in Toronto. That's a good point. I didn't even that, think of that. That. That, that. that hurts them because you lose the, you know, the home field advantage. Right. Sleeping in your own bed. That, yeah. That is important. Yeah, sure. Didi Gregorius, he needs a home. I think yeah. he lands with the Phillies. Personally. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even if they do a pillow like a one year, you know, he's too. You know, he's still got. Uh, he's got a lot to offer. I mean, he's a terrific defensive shortstop, and he hits enough. And he's got some power and pop, and he's uh, his smile lights up a clubhouse and the fan base. Uh, easy for a fan base to really like Didi. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he may just take a one year pillow and see where the market uh, goes. But uh, but I could see him staying with the Phillies. All right, before we go, I have two more landing spots I want to ask you about. Okay. First is James Paxton. Uh, do we not – he's not coming to the Bronx? Is that general yeah. consensus? I would say that's a general consensus, major consensus, lieutenant consensus, sergeant major consensus. I mean, I don't see any – I don't see that happening. I'll tell you where he's going. I'll tell you Where's right now. Going? Tell me. Anaheim. That could be. Well, they signed a pitcher, please. Well, they got to sign somebody. I mean, they they need the pitching. Now, the question is: Is he? You know, he, again, is it just with him? It's never been about the stuff. It's always been about his health. You know, is he healthy enough? Can he hold up? Is he going to be durable enough? And again, you know, again, we talk about not having the innings last year. You know, now you're asking him to sort of come back and and be uh, be you know one of your anchors. If that's the case, I don't I don't know that he's capable of that right now. I don't know. Last one, another former Yankees pitcher, Masahiro Tanaka. Hmm. Do you believe the rumors? Is he going back to Japan? I could see that. If I had to make a bet, I would say that's probably where he'd go. I mean, look, he could still pitch effectively. Uh, he's obviously he's a big hero in Japan, and uh, I could see him going back home to finish his career. I could see that happening. Yeah, it- Makes sense. And he had a, a nice career with the Yankees that he'd be nice. proud of. Very nice career. It's a, very, a career to be proud of. Absolutely. Well, a lot 78 of and 46 with a 3.74 ERA. <laughs> big game pitcher for the Yankees. He won a lot of big games for them. Yeah, he's a 3.33 ERA in the postseason. American League. Yeah, got to remember that. League. You know, people forget about that. All right, Flip. I think we did it. I think we did too. Well, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and thank you for your support. It means everything to us. So, in the words of Ashley Fugazi, I guess it's time to land the plane. Let's land it.
Let's land this baby. 